0: Hey there, it's Kelly from ZinniMe. Before we get started on today's episode, I want to invite you to one of our greatest trainings ever. It's how to build and grow a profitable solo or group practice sustainably. All you got to do is check it out at zinnime.comslash podcast. All right, on to our episode. Welcome to another episode of Starting a Counseling Practice. Today we are going to talk with Casey Compton. She's an LPCC in Kentucky and author of the book "Fix This Next" for healthcare providers. We're going to be exploring her journey into private practice, group practice, coaching, and now becoming a well-known author in our industry. So, welcome, Casey. Thanks for being here.
1: Thank you for having me. I have a little bit of a confession, really. Okay, sure. So whenever I was first starting my private practice, you are the one that I followed actually all the way through. So it was, um, I don't, I don't think, I don't know if you had a podcast then, but, um, lots of other resources that I used and followed in the very beginning.
0: Oh, I'm so glad. That's cool. Thanks for (laughs) telling me that you just never know. I don't know. 11 years ago, there was no podcast. Yeah. There's there was no <laughs> it was all websites and that's about it. But, um, so when did you start your private practice and why?
1: Um, I started my private practice back in the fall of 2015 and it came at a time where I had worked for a few different agencies. I, actually, that's really not true. I started my private practice immediately out of grad school mm-hmm. and um, went into grad school knowing that that's what I was going to do and started it, got my first client. She had an eating disorder. And that was it. I just said, I can't do this. And I shut the practice down. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't really like on the business side of things. It was more of like, I was so green as a clinician. I didn't know what I was doing. And I had one of the most difficult first cases that I'd ever had. And it made me question, Mm. you know, you know, it's like, can I do this? Am I ready to do this? And thank goodness, I I did question because I really had no business doing both at that time. Mm. And so I went back into some agency work just to just, I don't know, just have more experience. Yeah. 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 Just to get better because I thought I can't, I don't think I could be a confident practice owner if I'm not even a confident clinician. Mm. And so I did that for a while. And then um, in the fall of 2015, I had just I had a really high risk pregnancy and was on strict bed rest for five months Mm. and couldn't work. It was, it was horrible. Like we Mm. lost almost everything we had. And at that time, I just remember thinking, what if I, like, I just felt very vulnerable. And I thought, you know, in my role as a clinician, if I'm not working, if I'm not sitting in a chair, seeing a client, I'm not making any money. And so I started thinking about residual income and how I needed to have something where I had people working for me so that I could still earn an income for my family if I wasn't the one actually providing the services. And so that's really um, after I had my daughter that's kind of how it happened. And I just went pretty hard into going all in and starting a private practice, knowing all along that it was just a stepping stone to get into a group practice. Mm-hmm. You know? That was
0: the eventual goal. You yeah. knew you wanted to be a group practice owner. See, when I started, I knew I did not like, <laughs> I think because I had managed a clinic with like 25 people, nurses, psychiatrists and everything. And I thought, I need a break from this. So my practice was an effort to find respite from being a leader in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, now I'm back into it with all these employees and things, but <laughs> I think when I started my practice, it was with, I'm going to be solo the whole time. I love that you kind of knew that you well, wanted. To yeah. I mean, that.
1: I totally get that though, because there's times now after I've done this, you know, for six years and I've have hundreds of employees, I just think I don't want to deal with people <laughs> like I don't want to do this. And, um, so I totally get that. And it, I think that we all kind of go through these phases where our, our needs and our wants change. And for me at that time, it I, I don't want to say it was a decision based out of fear because I try not to do that, but it was a decision based off of, Hey, like I have this issue going on where I know if I'm going to have more children, I'm not going to be able to work while I'm pregnant. And if that is the case, how am I going to support the family that I have? Mm -hmm. And so it was really just more of like a logistical decision at the time. And the thought of running a business was just as exciting, if not, maybe even Mm -hmm. secretly a little more exciting Mm -hmm. than doing the clinical work.
0: So how did you grow your practice? What was kind of the timeline with that? Because you've done it differently than a lot of other clinicians in the way that you've scaled.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So the first year um, I remember going into it all. I was really worried about money and I didn't have any money at that time. Like I said, I had not worked. We just had a baby. Um, my husband was working like multiple jobs. He worked at this Italian restaurant and he came home at midnight or later every night smelling like yeast bread. I mean, Mm -hmm. it was horrible. Like I'm traumatized still by that smell. Mm. And (laughs) no longer will go to any Italian restaurant and eat because of that. Um, but so I was really worried and I had a lot of time on my hands. So I spent a lot of time doing the math and just projections of this is what I think I can do. This is how many clients I think we can see. This is how much we're going to charge. And so um, the first year I went into it thinking I had a projection that we would gross $334,000 and some change. And at the end of that first year, whenever I went to close out the books for that year, we had missed it by $2,000. Wow. And so it was pretty close and I was, and I was just thinking, okay, like, I think that if we can just set these goals that will rise and meet them. And so the first year was really just about figuring it out, you know, like mm-hmm. what does the client's journey look like into our practice and um, how do we want that to look and, and what are other places around us doing so we can do something completely different. And um, what kind of image are we gonna take on in our community? We had other practices that were big on um, like yoga and all of these physical activities and, and I am not, um, but I'm very artistic and love the arts and love everything about the arts. And so that's kinda, we kinda decided that that's who we were gonna be in this thing. And um, so we did a lot of that that first year and a lot of that first year was just me getting the, getting in the trenches and bootstrapping and just figuring it out. Like, like you said earlier, there, there wasn't a lot of resources,
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: especially not for practices that were trying to grow into a large group. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't really have the, the options that people have now just to go mm-hmm. online and yeah. you know pay $47 and have the whole entire plan there for you. But Um, So that's what I did. I just built out systems basically. And Mm -hmm. then um, the plan was to just keep it relatively small. Um, That first year we didn't even market. We didn't even tell anybody hardly that we were open Mm -hmm. because I was afraid of not delivering on the commitments that we were making to the community. So we kept it pretty buttoned up. And then once we got some systems in place where I felt like we could take on if we open the gates, we could take could on scale. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. Then we did. And so from that first year into that second year, I think we hit like 1.1 million or something right around mm-hmm. there. And then every year we were doubling mm-hmm. um, up until last year. Last year, we did not double. We kind of just flat stayed the same. Which, you know,
0: like, let's just say <laughs> last year. Yeah. to plateau or you know, it's a good thing. That's yeah, with oh, yeah. everything that we all faced. That's awesome.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was very thankful for it. And I think all of that really had a lot to do with all of the work that my team and I had done prior because if we had not been prepared, and I don't know you know how you could have ever prepared for last year, mm-hmm. but if we would not had already been practicing like the cash flow systems we were yeah. using and all we would have, I mean, it would have been bad. We would mm-hmm. have been in trouble mm-hmm so how many locations do you have um currently we have nine mm-hmm. we're 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 in a growth phase right now so we're looking to add a couple more locations we have we do a lot of work in we don't necessarily have to have a location in order to provide the services in some areas we work in schools or in doctor's offices or in uh, rehab centers um, homeless shelters, um, domestic violence shelters. So I believe we're in 17 counties. We have mm. nine locations. And, um, at one point we were about right at, or a little over a hundred employees. And I think now we lost quite a bit during COVID and we've, um, we set a goal this year to hire 24 and I think we're right back 24 more. So I think we're back up in the eighties.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So
0: you've been doing the group practice, expanding, doubling all these things. How does this fix this? Why do I have a hard time saying that? Like a lot of people do. I don't know. It's really, it's really great for a speech therapist. I'm sure fix this (laughs) next (laughs) fit into that picture.
1: Well, one of the things that I noticed in work with, there's a few things but one of the things that i notice in work with mental health clinicians and private practices is i have never seen an industry people in an industry work so hard and try so hard on their business like these people are like beast. Um, they mm-hmm. like they're seeing clients all day long, and then they're going home, and they're trying to learn how to use QuickBooks, and they're <laughs> they're just like doing all of these things. And um, I just have so much respect for them. And and also, it it kills me a little bit because I was at a point in the very beginning, I was so determined to succeed that I sacrificed a lot of time and, um, mostly time with my family and my kids. And I see that in other practice owners too. They're literally working themselves to death to try to Mm -hmm. be successful. And so whenever, um, I started kind of putting these little pieces of the puzzle together, and I talked with Mike Michalowicz, who wrote Fix This Next across all industries, and I was talking to him about it, and I was like, you know, like, this book, it feels like it was just supposed to be written for healthcare. care. Um, it's based off of Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs, and I just told him, I was like, I think it has to be written. It needs to be written. These practice owners deserve a life, and... Mm-hmm. They're sacrificing way more than they need to. And so that's what that's what I try to do in this book is just to provide a framework so that people aren't working top to bottom from a to-do list every single day, that they're they know how to prioritize the needs of their business and they know what to be focusing on and when to focus on it rather than just working from sunup to sundown and crossing their fingers that it's gonna fix it.
0: When do you think it started to shift for you? to move away from that overworking place into, I mean, for me, it was going into the hospital. Mm. Um, I was pregnant and I had a migraine and I was, we were launching our first product for Zenny Me and I was in the middle of session and my face, um, half of it became paralyzed. Mm. And so then I had to go to the ER and I thought, well, something needs to change. (laughs) So when, what, how have you kind of made that shift and what does it look like today? Like, can you kind of paint a picture of that?
1: Yeah. So that was actually, um, I've been, when I wrote the book, I wrote the book in with the help of AJ Harper, who is Mike Michalowicz's, um, co-writer and, AJ kept telling me, she was like, Casey, I, you've got to put this epiphany, like you have to have an epiphany in the book where everything changed for you. And she just kept pushing and pushing. And I was just thinking, I don't know what it was like. It felt like there were so many things mm-hmm. that happened. And um, so the very first chapter of the book is called "The Penny, the Pirate, and the Compass," and that is the story of when it all changed for me. And for me, it was—I um, had a lot of—I think I was just operating off of adrenaline for for the first year and a half uh, because remember I'd been on bed rest for five straight months, and you know, like I just had a lot of had a lot of energy. And so I was operating off of that and I got to the point where I I thought, you know what, like I'm going to do something really smart and I'm going to hire someone to help me run this thing. Like on the back end, I need someone to to do my billing. I need someone to help with the books. I need someone to look at the numbers because at that point I didn't want to look at that. Mm -hmm. And so I did. And um, I made the biggest mistake I'd ever made in my life, not hiring someone to help me, but just forgetting somehow that I needed to hold them accountable mm-hmm. and I put them in a position of a lot of power and uh trusted without accountability in place and that is basically the pirate that I mm-hmm. tell in the story and so they stole a lot from me they mm-hmm. um they really wreaked havoc in my business and so when I caught caught it I guess you. I don't know mm-hmm. catching them is the right word but discovered <laughs> yes when I discovered everything that was going on behind my back and how blind I had been to everything I just crashed like I mean mentally physically emotionally I was done I was done um I felt betrayed I felt manipulated I felt stupid I felt used I like everything and I remember having to go in and sit down with my employees I had about 50 or so at the time and I had to tell them what had happened and I was like broken just completely broken and I really thought that I would they were all just going to quit because why would they want to work for somebody that just let this happen
0: Hey, it's Kelly. Are you enjoying today's episode? There is so much more to starting your private practice. That's why we created Business School for Therapists. It's our lifetime access business building program created especially for you and all the future stages of practice that you are going to go through. If you're ready to join a community that supports you, that to have access to a massive library of private practice trainings covering everything from creating your vision to setting your fee to getting you legally covered and more, this is for you. Simply go to bit.ly slash therapistbusinessschool to get started.
1: And, um thank God they just like all came together. It was like, it bonded all of us. And they were like, Hey, it's okay. We we've got you. We are here. We are going to protect this business and we're going to move forward. But that was really my point because, you know, if you're, if, if you are overworked and overextended, you miss things, you're tired, you know, you just, you're just not at your best. And that, that was me. Um, and so that was kind of the, the turning point for me. And so I knew a couple of things. I knew that one, it, it wasn't sustainable for me to be the one to do all the work. And, um, I didn't want to be in control. Like I'm not someone that feels like they have to control everything. Mm -hmm. Um, so I knew that I was going to have to have people to help run the business and to help operate the systems that I'd put in place. That was really scary because I didn't want that to happen again. So this time I just knew I had to have an extra layer of accountability there. And so what I did is I just started, I took everything that I had created and I went back through the five core systems that I believe was in my practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just started making sure that there were accountability measures in each of those mm-hmm. I started bringing in multiple people to hand each system off to rather than one person who had their hand in everything. And then we just started um, rolling. And then we just kept focusing on the systems, trying to make them strong. We wanted the business to run based on the systems, not based on the person. Mm-hmm. And um, so we just started making a lot more smart, I guess, smarter decisions about uh, responsibility, accountability, and what my role was going to be. And so at that point, actually, I never inserted myself back into the business again. Never, not in any capacity. And I just told myself that that was not going to happen because I knew how easy it could be to just jump back in there and take control. And then um, I would be back overworked and tired and stressed all over again and so to this day and that's been six years ago I still don't have any response like daily responsibility in the business at all Mm -hmm. and I'm really thankful that I did that even though it was very scary because I can't imagine running this size of a company and still having all of that responsibility
0: yeah I think mm, building your team and support and having the leadership in place, or as you say, accountability. I think of that as like, to me, it's leadership as well. It's being having presence um, in different ways, whether that's systematized, it's not your actual physical presence, um, or um, through the relationship and things like that. I think is been the key to our growth as well. And the key to a lot of our clients who go into group practice. But I think even for the individual private practice owner, that that stuff still applies. Mm -hmm. Um, That even when you are solo in your practice, I've always had someone else. Um, looking at the finances. I mean, I'm looking at an overall kind of like the higher vision, but in that nitty gritty of bookkeeping and things like that, giving that to someone who does that well and looking at each area of the business and saying, is this my highest? Is this where I am best to be serving? And if not, who is in there that is best? Because then that allows you to do what you want to do. And to, and to hold a higher vision and lead it, you know, lead the business, even as a solo practitioner to a better place of whatever that may look like for each kind of owner. I think that there's this belief that as a solo practice owner, you still should do all things. Um, and that when you get into group, that's when you should start getting help and support. But I think from the get-go. I remember when I started my practice, that's when I got even coaching from the beginning. I was like, I'm not going to reinvent this wheel. I am not going to uh, (laughs) just pretend I know what I'm doing. I'm going to have a strategy and attack it and get the support I need from the beginning. And always having the right support has made the difference.
1: I think that that's probably the biggest lesson that I learned from the beginning of this journey to now, cause I've created, uh, seven businesses since I started the first one. And, um, at, at that time I felt like I, I had more money than I had time or I had more time than I had money. And so I thought that I just needed to do it all myself. And I could definitely see the evolution that's happened in the last several years of how, um, Practice owners forget to value their time, mm-hmm. and they they think that if they are doing the work, then the job is free. And it's not; it's actually costing them money if they're sitting behind the computer trying to figure out their P and L for six hours. It Can also
0: be costing them lifespan, <laughs> you know. <what? laughs>
1: Yeah, that too. That I think people forget that your time does have a value and um, we have to be doing things that are, are moving ourselves forward. And at this point, people, they're like, I can't believe you don't do your own whatever. I'm like, no, I just don't. Because what's the point of starting a new business? If you're going to have to do, spend all of your time doing all of the work when someone else can do it for you, you can still get a return on your investment and you're making money and not having to do anything.
0: I think that's the other thing too. Of We all have different uh, risk levels <laughs> that we can take and, and tolerance windows. Um, but owning a business is a risk. It just is. And there's no way to avoid that. But you can mitigate the risk as well in terms of which order you start to get support in, what you start to outsource or delegate, who you <clears throat> do that with can also be a part of it. But I think this idea of, I think there's people don't make those decisions because they're fearful and it feels very risky, but the fact is we're already in a risk situation. You're in a risk even as an employee. I mean, (laughs) But somehow uh, our capitalistic society has kind of got us to believe that if I have a job, it's guaranteed or even though it's not, you know, everything in life is a risk. You get to choose that risk and you get to choose how far you want to go into it. The main thing here I think you and I both agree on is still being profitable Mm -hmm. when you're investing in that business, having a plan for it to be profitable. You know, that is important because too often I see people not having the plan. And so they outsource and they get a team, but then they're never being paid. Right. That's not okay either.
1: No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, no. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever read the book, The Goal um, by Eli. No. Oh my gosh. Okay. So you either love it or you hate it. I happen to love it. It's um, it's it's about profit. Like it talks about how the goal of every single business, but yet everyone forgets is profitability. And so whenever I wrote mine, I, I knew that I needed to really talk about that, because especially in mental health and private practice, um, practice owners sometimes either forget that profitability is the goal or they confuse profit Um, with purpose. And they say, the purpose of my business, you know, is to help people. And the, and the goal of my business is to help people. But really, I believe in what I really tried to explain in, in the book is that the goal of your business is profitability. Your purpose is to help people, but you can't get to the goal. If you can't, you know, you can't ever get to the purpose if you don't have the goal. And it's just so important that without profitability, there's a quote that says, what is it? Um, if you're not profitable in business, you're a charity or something like that. Like we have to, we have to,
0: even nonprofits have to have a profit. (laughs) You know, There's just like no way around it in order for you to fulfill your purpose. You have to be profitable. You have to have the doors open. So for this book, um, who, who do you think this is a great book for?
1: Oh my goodness. Um, this is a great book for, I'm looking at it as okay. it's sitting here. i here. I'll, I'll show it to people. Let me take the little seat. There it is for those that are
0: watching on video. Um, yeah. Who do you feel like every clinician in
1: private practice should get this book? Well, I mean, of course, yes, but um, <laughs> I think that really who it's for is someone who is serious about growing or not even necessarily growing, but just, um, being smart within their business and especially people who don't ever want to feel pulled in a million different directions or for people who've ever questioned, oh my gosh, I have so much to do. Where should I start? Mm -hmm. That's really what the book was made for. Um, And then just another part of that is I think as therapists, sometimes we lack confidence in our ability to run our business. And we think because we don't have an MBA, we are not as business savvy as some other industries. And I think that's totally wrong because mm-hmm. I think we can use the same approach that we use in treating our patients and apply that to treating our practice and be wildly successful.
0: I think this is where I feel grateful for my training as a therapist of being trained in systems theory and the way I look at family systems. And then I can apply that to organizational systems, no different. Like it is, it is the same stuff replicated over and over just in, you know, different outfits, I guess you could say.
1: Absolutely. Um,
0: And so even when I've gone into larger corporations to work with CEOs and things like that, it is still looking at like, there's it's that MFT always has applied. (laughs) And I think it actually makes me a better business coach for those leaders. And so I think the same apply, I agree with you wholeheartedly that as business owners, if we apply what we know about psychology um, relationships um, effectiveness connection. I mean, all those things. Um, if you harness that instead of seeing it and see, and see it as an asset, you actually, uh, surpass some of those people who are brought up in that technical kind of MBA world. I'm not knocking an MBA. Everyone in my, my family has them and stuff, but, um, I think you actually have an advantage because when you can apply that, um, relationship aspect to it, um, Yeah. It blows people out of the water and it actually is more effective for change. um, I think, too, when Mm -hmm. if you're looking from like an organizational psych kind of perspective, um, it's an asset to be a therapist and a business owner.
1: Absolutely. A hundred thousand percent. Totally agree. And and that was just that was something that was really important to me um as I was writing the book and there's stories in there of all of these practice owners who who went into this thinking that they were the underdog and you know now they've realized that they're not that they actually have more advantages than most of their friends in other industries and that's a that's a big boost to the confidence right there Mm -hmm. I love that so
0: if anyone wants to check out the book or check you out how can they get in contact with you
1: So the book right now is on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Um, And then we always send people to our website. It's just my name, caseycompton.com. And we have um, a pretty active social media, Instagram, Facebook. So anyone can follow us on there, comment, question, message, whatever they need.
0: Thanks for sharing your story, Casey. Thanks for having me. I love that we have finally crossed paths, um, even though I've been watching you for years in your work. And I appreciate when Miranda and I started out, there wasn't a whole lot. And to have seen the field grow in terms of resources and improving accessibility for information, um, you writing this book is another way to in- improve that accessibility. Um, I, I feel appreciated appreciative of that because um, I am on a mission to change the face of (laughs) mental health care in our country and um, that we are no longer the worst paid master's degree. So whenever we have more people that are working towards lifting up clinicians, I am cheering you on and I'm just honored to have you on this podcast today. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, you guys, check out Casey's work, check out her book, and we'll see you next time. I hope you loved today's episode. If you're a therapist who's tired of those long hours, low pay, and constantly battling burnout, don't forget our free video training designed just for you on how to build and grow a sustainable profitable solo or group practice, head over to zinimi.com slash podcast to check it out today. Until next time.